Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. All right, welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde, and I'm so excited to have my friend Dan Nold on the podcast. And the things that we're doing um, in this podcast that are a little different than Valley-centricness is we are pivoting a bit partly because of all that's going on with COVID-19 and also the racial unrest. I wanted you to hear from voices outside of uh, the Lehigh Valley. The second part of that is uh, these are voices that have shaped my personal vision for the Valley. And so I want you to be able to hear from them because they have impacted me, influenced me. And then the third is I think it would be highly selfish for me to glean um, from them because I have a lot of questions about life and leadership without you being able to hear that as well. So it's my, my goal for you to, to hear this and, and hit the record button uh, so that you can uh, glean from uh, lessons that they're going to share with us as well. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us and tell us a little bit about yourself. Great to be here. Thanks, Joe. Um, I, I'm, uh, I've been a pastor for 31 years. I've been here in State College, another valley. This is Happy Valley. You're, That's right. You know, our, our valleys kind of connect through the state <laughs> anyway. But I've, I've been here in State College for about 20, well, a little over 26 years. It was 26 years ago in May that, hmm. that I came. And uh, I'm married and have four kids. Um, one good son uh, lives here in State College, <laughs> and the other three moved away to Minnesota. Um, and and uh, one of the ones that moved to Minnesota also has our three grandchildren, and uh, one of those uh, just came last last week. Um, and um, church wise, or or kingdom wise, spiritual wise, I you know I I usually um, say to people that I think the things that God has used to kind of define me has been uh, a passion for the broader church, the church. Mm-hmm. We, we talk out here about the church of the city, um, church of the region, uh, a, a geographical place more so than just Baptists or Assemblies of God or Lutheran or whatever, and, and a passion for prayer and, and just really a deep desire to see uh, God do something in, in our day that goes beyond, you know, what we've seen up till this time. And, mm. and so I think those are, that, that's a, a little bit, at least about me. I'm a Nittany Lion fan. You can't live in Penn State territory <laughs> for 26 years without being a Nittany Lion fan. But I balance that out by also being a Minnesota Timberwolves, Minnesota Vikings, and Minnesota Twins fan. So the winning on one side kind of balances out the losing on the other side. Uh, well, hey, you, you, the Vikings, they look pretty good. Come on now. Yeah, every year they look good enough to give you hope, and they're bad enough to dash it. <laughs> every year. Yeah. Okay. I can feel that. I can feel that. I'm a Falcons <laughs> fan. So I know what that's like. I got yeah. my, uh, my Falcon shirt on right now, so I can appreciate yeah, that. Go. Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, I, I really wanted to, to take some time with you, Dan, and, and, and focus on a couple of different things. Um, one is I, I wanted to hear from your vantage point uh, just about your own personal journey uh, with COVID-19 and what, what God has shown you uh, through this season. And part of the reason I want to ask you about that, and then we're going to dive into uh, the, some of this uh, racial reconciliation mm-hmm. piece as well. And, and part of the reason I want to ask you is, um, obviously, you've personally done it, but I, I feel like whenever I ask you a question, um, you do a, a great job. And this is just to, to let people know a little bit about who you are. Um, I, I think you always do a great job of, of trying to discern what the Lord's saying mm-hmm. and not to be so quick to uh, assume what he's saying, and then to go uh, to the extremes that we often do with in this polarizing world that we live in, yeah. and and to hold on to our preconceived notion of what it is or, or isn't, um, but to to really hold those tensions, and that takes you know, I don't know. I just appreciate the wisdom that that you you have in those areas. So mm-hmm. I I really want to hear your your vantage point and your perspective again about your COVID nineteen journey and what God has shown you through this season. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take it a step back and, and really um, if, if there's any truth to what you just said about me, it, it, 
you know, it comes, it comes from a, a journey and, and I mean, the journey is lifelong. You, you know, mm-hmm. that you, you're kind of walking that out in your own life, but about seven or eight years ago, I, I uh, embarked upon a journey of taking a, getting a doctor of ministry degree in leadership development and organic leadership development and, mm-hmm. and kind of the, the unexpected grab my heart learning from, from that whole time. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, but the, the, the part that really grabbed me was was a discussion that that God just wouldn't let me let go of a discussion on spiritual authority and mm. spiritual authority is not authority that comes because you're a pastor or a campus minister or something like that that that's just positional authority in in the church and you know we we all if you study leadership we all know that positional authority is the the lowest, you know, form of influence and leadership. It, it's a, it's a push me kind of leadership. It's, I'm your boss. I get to push you to do at least the minimum of what you have to do kind of thing. It's a push me leadership, power, you know, position kind of stuff. And, and then there's, you know, two, two forms of authority of influence of leadership that, that are similar, but they come from different sides. One is the, the influence of capacity I do things well, I get the job done. So you want to follow me or charisma. You like being around me. And so you, mm. you want to follow me. And both of those are kind of a pull me influence. Pull me if I'm pulling you along with me wherever I'm going, because I do it well, or I do it loud and, you know, big and whatever. Spiritual authority is more like a dance, you know, to, to the point at times where you can't even tell who's leading. Is it you? Is it God? Is it somebody else? And there's just, just mm. kind of, you know, back and forth uh, motion, mm. but the spiritual authority comes because we've allowed God to break us, um, take us deeper. We've done deep processing on our, our crap, mm. our, our wounds, our, our own brokenness. We've, we've, mm. we've allowed God, you know, to, we've embraced kind of the story of God taking us through the crucible, the, the times of, of heat that refine us. Um, mm. And we've just gone deeper. And, and as a result of, of surrendering to God in the midst of all of that, we just kind of develop that stink of Jesus. You, we mm. smell like Christ. We have the fragrance of Christ. And, and because of that, people want to follow us. And, or, or God, you know, blesses us. I, I mean, different uh, faith traditions have different words for, I think, spiritual authority. Some call it the anointing. You know, yeah. but there's this, this sense of, man, God, God's hand is on that person. That, that's what it was with Nehemiah. And, you know, mm. Nehemiah said, um, and the king did this for me because the gracious hand of the Lord was upon me. And we just, we just don't spend enough time thinking about what does it look like for the gracious hand of the Lord to be upon us. Mm. And so three postures that are necessary to bring us to that um, position of spiritual authority. And this leads me into the COVID stuff. Oh, no, this is great. Um, is, is the posture of, of surrender and, mm. and the, the main issue or the main question with surrender is always who's in control. Hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of us approach God kind of with a, Hey God, I have a good plan. Come and follow me. Mm -hmm. And then when God doesn't follow us, then, then the issue of control begins to, to rise up. And, and so surrender, the the issue is always control. That's, that's the issue on the table. Who's, who's in control. Is it God? Is it me? Who's, who's king? Is it God or is it me? Um, who gets to make the decisions? Is it God or is it me? And, and, uh, surrender is always about giving up control and, and, and the result of surrender is, is revelation. When, when we surrender, God gives us fresh revelation. And and when he gives us fresh revelation, we, we worship, you know, I mean, there's just a really amazing thing that happens. And and then the, the second posture is the posture of brokenness. And, and the question, the main question we have to answer in, in this posture is, what do I bring to the table? Do, do I bring to the table my capacities, my abilities, my resources, or do I bring to the table a desperate dependency on God? Hmm. And, you know, the Beatitudes say, um, you know, when you're the most broken, blessed are the poor in spirit, the begging poor, the, the desperate, that you're right on the, you know, the doorstep to the kingdom of heaven. And 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 so you know that that's the that's the posture of brokenness. It, and and when I 
when I work on those two, that begins to take me deeper in my relationship with God. But it also causes me to be open to a third posture, which is the posture of vulnerability. And, and vulnerability is a posture primarily, not only, but primarily um, comes in relationship to uh, our horizontal relationships with other people. And, and vulnerability, let me close that door just a second. Yeah, 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 no problem. Vulnerability is similar mm-hmm. to authenticity where, you know, a lot of good pastors, a lot of good preachers are good at authenticity when authenticity is, let me tell you how I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but vulnerability goes beyond authenticity and says, I need you. Mm-hmm. I need you. Um, more than you need me. I need you at least as much as, as, as you need me. And, and so as God has worked those postures into my life, that brings a certain amount of intellectual humility. So I don't have to feel like I got all the answers because I, I can guarantee you, I used to um, feel that way a lot more than I do now. And I still sometimes feel that way, you know? Um, and, and it, and it just, it just has given me a different, a different, well, a different posture through this whole thing. So then taking that and going to the whole COVID thing, um, I, I was out in uh, Washington, uh, Oregon, um, Portland, Oregon, I guess, um, doing some consulting with a, a missions group uh, that does medical missions to Haiti. And that's where I, I got infected with, with COVID-19. Didn't know it at the time. There was a guy there who a week or so later, you know, sent me an email and said, hey, I just want to let you know. And um, I, I came back from those meetings, and it was probably a week later that I started getting the symptoms. But in the midst of that, so I, I came back from those meetings. That Wednesday, I had a a two-day meeting planned with a, a bunch of pastors from Pennsylvania of larger multi-site churches. Um, we ended up meeting that evening and, and talking about, you know, the coronavirus. And everybody, as a result of those conversations, said, you know what, we're not going to meet tomorrow. We just, we feel like we need to get back home and meet with our staff. Because that was right in the time where, okay, stuff is starting to kind of explode here. So, so I got infected on a Sunday. I had this meeting with these pastors on Wednesday went home, had a big meeting with all my staff and, and other groups on Thursday to, to plan for what are we going to do? Cause we think, you know, we're going to get these shutdowns and shelter in place and stuff like that. Ended up, you know, that was the, the first weekend that we said, okay, no more um, in, in person, face-to-face church for a while. I recorded on Saturday, then Sunday night, um, I started experiencing, started feeling sick fever and aches and stuff like that. Um, I actually went another week before I found out I got tested in the middle of that. I I went another week before I found out that I I was COVID-19 positive. And, and uh, so, you know, I had kind of a week there of just trying to work and lead and, and, but feeling sick and, you know, not really sure what it was, hoping it wasn't this not hearing from anybody that they had it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and then I went into the doctor for it was more like a regular checkup and told him what was going on. And he said, I, we want to check you. And so they, you know, they stick this three foot long deal up your nose and out your brain. And, you know, it was the most uncomfortable <laughs> test I've ever taken. And they did it twice. They did one, one for each nostril so they could, <laughs> oh my goodness. They could test one for, for flu and one for, for uh, COVID. So anyway, I found out Sunday, the following Sunday that I was COVID-19 positive, a week into, you know, this journey of trying to lead our church through something we never talked about in seminary. You know, I I missed the leading through a pandemic, you know, question. Um, I I, I totally missed the, how do you lead a church without Sunday morning worship? You know, that class I missed. And so, you know, trying to lead your church through that, you, you went through that and, and, and then also feeling sick and then finding out, oh my gosh, I have, I have COVID-19. And, mm. and uh, at that point, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty lousy. 
but but you add to the lousy at that point kind of all these stories that you're hearing about people one minute they're fine the next minute they're in hospital the next minute they're dead you know and, mm. and so that 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 first night so this is the second sunday of no you know no no church um <laughs> For those not seen, I just put that in quotation. <laughs> um, this is the second Sunday of that. And that night I was laying in bed. And it was probably one of the worst nights I had. I felt pretty, pretty crappy. And and uh, and just doing a little bit of the, you know, why me wine kind of stuff with God. And, and uh, you know, just one of those moments where you, you feel like, God speaking to you and, and he was just saying, Dan, your problem is that you're still trying to control everything that you think you need to control for this to have a good outcome. You're, you're, you think it's all about your leadership capacities and, and, and uh, just having that sense of God saying what, what you've longed for um, I'm doing. And, uh, and you just need to be still and quit striving and know that I'm God. And, uh, you know, I I think that lesson um, has carried me through the whole thing. That's the posture of control. It's the posture of brokenness. And and as I started sharing that lesson with others, it was the posture of vulnerability. Mm. And and uh, and and then you know, for me, the second the second thing was was just um, that that launched a, a period of time of that's still continuing for a variety of reasons, not all the same reasons, but a period of time where uh, just that, I mean, the tears just, um, you know, come at the oddest of times. Um, I mean, sometimes when it's, uh, it's when I'm pondering something, but it, and, and at some point in the midst of that, I just, I felt like, again, you know, God was kind of giving me insight to say, these aren't really your tears. Um, this is this is what's happening. This is what's happening when uh, my heart comes into contact with your heart. I'm just giving you, you know, a small so taste of my heart for the world, um, for you, for the church. And I just kept getting this vision of you know Father God with His arms open wide, like He was calling us to a worldwide Sabbath and hmm. and saying, "Come home." and so, you know, that just kind of began this, this period of tears. And then, you know, uh, that, that kind of settled for a few weeks with a real strong conviction that we're not in a temporary time, we're in a transitional time. And, and temporary times, if it's a temporary time, let's get out of it as quickly as possible. But if it's a transitional time, what God does in transitions is he prepares us for the next chapter. And, mm. and uh, if it's a transitional time, then we need to get into it as deeply as God wants us to get into it so that he can prepare us for the next chapter. And so I, I preached on uh, Peter walking on the water and I said, you know, we get into a storm and we just want to get to the other side as quickly as possible. But sometimes it's more important to be stuck in the storm than it is to get to the other side. And, and, and mm. if we're not stuck in the storm, we, we just don't, encounter Jesus in the same way. And I really believe we're in a transitional time. It's not, it's not a temporary time. It's a transitional season. And, and God, if we will let him is preparing us for, for a new chapter. And, you know, and then, you know, all the race, racial um, uh, injustice, um, conflict, yeah. riots, all of that hit. And, and the tears just started, you know, mm. coming again. And, and, uh, and again, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not mature enough or pure enough or good enough for that that to just be my heart. I, I just I feel like again, it's the, you know, the spirit of God, the heart of God, kind of rising up within and saying this this is how I feel about this. It's hmm. it's uh it's breaking my heart, and I think the more we can listen to that, the more we can listen to the heart of God. Because if if we just kind of fake the rage. Um, it just, it's not sustainable, but the more it comes from the heart of God, the more there, there's something lasting that can happen. But I, I believe he's doing something in that area and a lot of people um, right now. Yeah. And I think, I think what you said is so important. Like, and I want to go back to that posture thing because mm -hmm. I think for each and every one of us, um, God wants to take us on this journey. And 
uh, it's going to happen at different times if, you know, but we, it, it always comes about us being a willing participant. Yeah. Um, and yes, sometimes he has to use some painful moments to get our attention. Uh, right. A lot of times he does. Uh, right. But I, I think in my own journey, I've seen that to be so true is yeah. the surrender, um, the brokenness mm. and the vulnerability. Like when, when I live from those places and I've mm. done the deep work um, and even now I'm, I'm seeing what happens uh, when you get to the root yeah. of a lot of those issues in your own life and how it changes mm. the fruit and how you're even available for, like you said, not only the things of God, but God himself. Yeah. Um, because then you are aware of there's connections that he's making yeah. that you wouldn't otherwise have been ready for right? or, or prepared for. Um, and that's a lifelong journey of maturing yeah. in him. But I also think for each and every one of us, as we listen to this, I, I want to encourage you to to really be thinking about your own life and where are you when it comes to surrendering? Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I want you to think about that. Like, are you surrendered uh, to the Lord with anything and everything that you've been given and have uh, your plans, your, your wishes, your desires, all those things. And then the brokenness part, which is really difficult because I think people, and we're seeing this, um, even with the, the pandemic and, and the racial unrest, yeah. they really want to move forward so fast without doing the work of going backwards yeah. and appropriately addressing, not in a shame way, not in a blame way, not in a, just out of fear, but to experience the gift that's there so that it won't, like if you don't process your pain, your pain will process you. But yeah. when you process your pain, it becomes a purpose and a gift that you give to yourself and to others that God will allow it to be that. And, and then the vulnerability piece is just as important is who and when are you vulnerable and are there trustworthy friends that you are starting to do that with? So I think we need to ask those questions. Are, are you willing to be surrendered to the Lord? And if not, why, why not? And it's okay. Like you need to be honest with where you are. Yeah. Um, are you uh, at a place where you're broken right now? And are you, are you willing to do the, the difficult work of, of surrendering that brokenness to his healing touch? Cause it's really hard and painful. And yeah. Dan and Dan will say that. And I will say that like people always talk about it in such great grand language and yeah. a vision. And we should have a vision for it, but I don't think either one of us is saying it's easy. No. Um, we're saying it's hard, but the, the end result, it's so worth it. It's yeah. worth it because of what God does in, in us. And then I think that the third part of it, of what we said already is who and, and when are you going to be vulnerable? Not with yeah. just your, your past realities. That's part of it. Uh, but, but even where you're, you're wrestling right now, like I, you know, there's a lot of answers we don't have right now. The, the yeah. thing that's certain is we're uncertain. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. and so if we can just come right. at that, and even whether it's the pandemic, or the racial unrest, or, or all these things, and, and um, I think vulnerability is such a lost art right now because yeah. we like to have strong opinions, mm-hmm. um, and those opinions to be heard, and it's okay to have an opinion, but not when it doesn't allow me to be vulnerable with what I don't know, and maybe yeah. where I'm falling short or I'm missing the mark, and yeah. I'm unable to hear the stories of others. And as I think about you, what a crazy journey. By the way, Dan is, is healthy, in case you're wondering. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's healed. Uh, we, we were so rejoicing in that. I, I love even how God has used you in my life during this season, too, to remind me. Because I, I would, you know, of those postures and having that posture, but I was sensing similar things. Like, I know this is painful, what we're going through right now. But I feel like there's an awakening that's happening, an awakening in the church um, and an awakening for those who are yet to be followers of Jesus, um, a sense of what really matters right now. Um, and, and what do we do with these personal systemic issues that don't seem to go away? Yeah. You know, like, how do we address them? And, and I think about you, because what a crazy time of, of COVID, but then you were in Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> uh, visiting yeah. your 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 uh, son and sons you know and, and your your latest grandchild and as you were there um 
the stuff with George Floyd was was uh, coming out and was happening. And and I just I wanted to hear from you as you were on the ground and then even how that ties to your journey that you've been on in this whole area of racial reconciliation. Now, I want to be clear as we're talking about this, Dan's just sharing from his own experience. Dan yeah. and I both would not say that we're experts. We're on the mm. journey together. And I think sometimes the difficulty when you're asked a question like that is to feel like this pressure, <laughs> uh, but also to those who are listening, I, I think it's important that we back to that vulnerability posture. We enter in a conversation, even when we don't have all the answers. Yeah. We just, I, I think we need more of that um, <laughs> because a lot of times we stay silent. But we should maybe yeah. speak up or enter into it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to hear a, a bit about your perspective on, on those two things. Well, one of the things I shared with my staff at the end of our staff meeting today, because we did a, a bunch of, you know, processing of what was going on. Um, but one, one of the things I, I said was at the end was, uh, especially mostly, mostly white, I think, you know, maybe 10% of our staff is, is diverse as people of color. But, you know, I, I said mostly to, you know, the white staff, um, you know, one of the things I found, not so much in the last couple of years, because, you know, God's done some stuff in me, but especially in the you know, going back six or seven or 10 or five or, you know, whatever years when, when stuff would, would, would um, explode, whether it was mini bursts of racial crud or, or whatever, you know, there were times where I would do something or try to do something. And then somebody would say, you know, maybe not in these words, but in essence, say, that's stupid. Why did you do that? You shouldn't do that. Have you thought about this? And, and, you know, there was a point in time where I kind of felt like, man, I, I feel like I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't, you know, if I'm silent, why didn't you speak up? And when I spoke up, I said the wrong thing. And one of the things I, I said to the staff was, you know, it, there has to come a point where, where you kind of put on your big boy pants or big girl pants and just say, that's not going to keep me from doing something. I, I am going to do some of the wrong. I need to do something. And sometimes when I do something, it's going to be the wrong thing. But because I need you more than you need me, I'm, I'm going to st- keep plugging away at it. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to do something. And I'm going to realize that there, there's not this monolithic, you know, black person. There's individual people of color. And, and for some people, I do something and it meant something to them. And for somebody else, it, it didn't. And, but that doesn't mean that you don't keep sticking in there. You don't keep doing something. You, you know, like you said, you, you can't be silent. And there's times when you got to stand up or just show up at least. Yep. And, and uh, you know, so I, I just think we, we need to realize we, we need to have a little bit of patience with ourselves and, and we need to have patience with, with others and not, not feel like, hey, why, why didn't you, you know, praise me because I tried to do something type of thing. So, you know, I think that's one part. There's, there's some, there's still a, a steep learning curve, um, you know, uh, being uh, uh, awakened to some of these issues doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden mature in, mm. in some of these issues. And and so, you know, we just, we just got to keep going after it. And, and then, you know, for my white brothers and sisters who are passionate now about this issue and who uh, weren't passionate about it two years ago, um, you need to have some patience with the people who aren't passionate about it now. You know, again, that's, that's just kind of the humility of, of moving forward. And, um, but, it, you know, so like you said, I, I, was, I was there visiting my family, um, the, the ones that moved away from, from Minnesota, or moved away from Pennsylvania took my grandkids away. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and while we were there, um, George Floyd was killed. And mm. before I left, uh, to come home, that was last Friday. I, I went down and, and walked those blocks at 38th and Chicago. And there, there was a, a, a demonstration of protests taking place then. Um, the, the big mural that's up on the cup food um what was there at that time and i took a picture of it with my flip phone that's all i got wasn't a very good picture so uh, but i just i i felt i felt like i just needed to be there you know one of the things that that i wrote was i felt like god 
was saying, bear witness, you, you know, mm. see what's going on and, and don't, um, don't hide. I've given you an opportunity to, um, to see. And, you know, a, a year, a, a year and a half ago now, we did a, a racial unity sermon series with a, a church in town. Harold is, is probably my, for sure, my best friend in ministry, probably my best friend outside of my, my wife here in town. And uh, he's a pastor of the African-American church here in town. And so we did something joint, a sermon series joint uh, for about a month and did some small groups together during that time. And I think one of the most impactful things for me during that time was just hearing the stories. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when you hear the individual stories of, of, of people who have been impacted by this issue and, and you say, okay, you know, this, this is not civil war. This is this person sitting in front of me um, whose life has been impacted by that. You know, for me, that was um, my most recent tipping point of just saying, mm-hmm. okay, I, I need to, this is a biblical thing. I need to, you know, um, bear the burdens of my brother and sister. And I need to grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so that was part of it. And, and, and for me, just being down there um, in, in Minnesota during that time was, was part of it, was part of it also. And, and uh, the, the, the protest there at that time was, was peaceful. It was diverse yeah. Um, you know, black and white, and and uh, it was it was uh, it was angry, you know, kind of of rhetoric. Um, but but it was it was peaceful. It was it, it was obviously people feeling a deep deep burden and and wounding, you know, from injustice and and what had taken place there. Um, you know, and then of course there's just you know just the complexity of of everything that's happening you know, happened since then, obviously there's, there's a, a protest element. There's a, a sin element, you know, there's, there's people getting in on it because they just want to get in on it and they don't maybe care so much about the issue. And there's all this complexity. And, and I think the danger for, for the church, especially white Christians is that we allow that complexity to, to take our eyes, you know, off the prize of, of racial unity, of, of mm. unity within the church, first of all, across every line, you know, yeah. Republican and Democrat, um, charismatic and, and evangelical and, and black and white, you know, every, I just think the enemy is throwing everything he can at the church right now to divide us. And, and some of those divisions have been there for a long time. You know, he hasn't, he's just, he's just, uh, you know, trying to stir the pot a little bit. Um, but, but somehow we need to find a way to walk through this tenaciously fighting for justice, but also at the same time, um, humbly united. And, mm. and I can't figure out how to do that on my own, but I, I, I have a pretty good sense that God has a, a plan, has an ability to do that. Well, I was wondering too, from your vantage point, um, even as we think about that, one of the things that I saw you post was not you, you've learned not to look away. Yeah. Um, and I, I forget how you said it. I think one of your friends said, you know, as you enter into these spaces, it's easy to look away. Yeah. It's easy because it doesn't, yes, it impacts us because we're part of the human race, yeah. but it doesn't directly impact us maybe the way it would uh, as a person of color, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and to, um, have eyes to see and to sit in the, the stink, so to speak, yeah. uh, with the Lord, not in ourselves, not in our, yeah. um, you know, I, as you said that, I was thinking about that, like how important it is to not look away, um, yeah. to look at it and, and to look at it with Jesus right by our side. Yeah. Look at it with this, like you said, to, to say, Hey, we're, we're coming against injustice in any form of disunity, we're not looking for uniformity, but yeah. disunity that would not, that would make it a us, us versus them kind of thing. Um, yeah. Because when you read through the scriptures, and and I know not everybody listening to this is maybe a follower of Christ, but when you listen to the scriptures, we're actually to be the model for what is is to happen and go on. And, right. and I think what's what's unfortunate is, is I was listening to other voices like Tony Evans and 
and others just wisely put like the church let this go for years and yeah. they propagated it even using the scriptures yeah. to enhance racism and slavery and owning and all these things. And, and so in the midst of that, to, to stay um, as a, another brother of mine here, uh, one of my African-American friends said to stay at a place where we're in our anger, but we're yeah. level headed in the midst of it. And we're full of, full of this grace and truth in the midst of it. So as we, as we think about that, and I know you may have answered, you may not have an answer for this, but I, I do want to know and from your vantage point, like where, where do we go from here to deal with the stronghold of, of racism um, and even other injustices as well? I mean, it's, it's not limited to that. I agree with you about even the, the need to be unified across the board in yeah. all these other ways. But where do you think we go from here? That's a great question. Um... Joe, I, 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 you know, to some degree, I, I, I'm uncertain. Um, mm. You know, to to some degree, I, I feel like, I, I feel like some of the things that I, I want to say in terms of where we go from here would would sound like, and and maybe are not just sound like, but maybe are, you know, uh, um, challenges that we've used to kind of walk past racism you know and say well we just we just need to go after god and and we just need to you know get our hearts right and 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 yet you know in my heart i feel like that's that is the only um that is the only cure you know i and and knowing that that sentiment of i just i need to get my heart right with god it's personal kind of deal has has allowed the church and good Christians to not dive into the systemic part of this that continues the crap. And, and yet there's still something in me that just says, if, if we don't get our hearts right, especially in the church, um, it, it's never going to change. It, it'll always be cosmetic. Um, there, there's just something in our hearts that wants to be one up over whoever we can be one up over. And, and until our hearts, you know, get rid of that, um, I, I think, I think this week I've been kind of taken by the, you know, the, the story, the picture of the Valley of dry bones and, and just realizing mm. for, for all the life that we think our churches have, there's an awful lot of bones, awful lot of dry bones, you know, and, and, and in evangelical churches, there's there's probably an awful lot of bones connected, but no life, you know, because we, man, we love to preach the word, and and you know that that was what brought the bones together. But if you just have a bunch of bones together and no life, it, it's more terrifying than dry bones, you know. Yeah. It's it's walking dead, and yeah. walking dead make a whole lot more do a whole lot more damage than than dry bones and. You know, so to get that that breath of life, transformative life. You, you know, one of one of the difficulties is, in some ways, in my mind, is we we haven't seen, it, at least in my lifetime, and and going back another generation before that. So I'm I, I realize we've had revivals in America, but in my lifetime and a couple lifetimes before that, we haven't seen what a true revival move of God would do against the, the sin of racism and even systemic racism. And, and I just think um, it's not politics is going to change it. Although let, let's work for, you know, political change. Um, yeah. I think, I think what, what I would say is there's obviously cultural and political implications. Yeah to this issue as we work it from a spiritual side. And yeah. th that's how we, cause it's like a three prong approach. You know, it's like, I've heard it said family, government and church, you know, yeah. and, and obviously when you don't deal with any of, you know, when you make it about one or the other, yeah, it, it doesn't really fully work. But when we say, and you said this early on in the podcast, when the kingdom of God covers all of that. Yeah. When it's a kingdom thing, and again, we're not saying there's any politician that we're going to fully agree with, that no politician's perfect, <laughs> but we know yeah. that God, God has set up those three institutions, the family, government, and in the church, you know, and I think it's about letting his, his breath, 
breathe afresh and anew on that. And I yeah. think what you're saying, and I agree with it, I think if we'll get past the the projecting on in the um, polarization of even scripture, yeah. and, and people probably haven't heard anybody say this, but what I mean by that is we polarize certain passages sure. yeah. as the way. Yeah. And when you do that, you get what you just described, a walking dead situation. Yeah. yeah. Because, because then the word becomes kind of selective. I selectively pick yeah. what conveniently works for me. And, and yet I'm, I'm not overly dependent about what on the Lord, about what he wants and what he says, which goes back to our posture conversation. Right. And, and really in prayerful dependence say, okay, God, like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. What, what would you have me to do here? Because yeah. it's always going to lead us to walk with him. But as we walk with him and partner with him, it will lead us to care for the people around us. Yeah. And the issues at hand to bring, to bring relief. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't, when I hear that, I understand what you're saying. Like, I, I agree with you because I think too many times we're putting like, um, our eggs in the basket of like, if we had this person elected or this person, and I'm not, again, I'm not, and neither one of us are saying this, that that doesn't have a part of this conversation. But I think if we, if we would pray more than we post, um, I wonder what would happen. And I, and I, I'm challenging myself in that, you know, if I would seek his face more than I would um, be concerned about, you know, all the other things that are, they, they matter, but they're not the most important. Um, well, and they're not, and they're not the most effective, right? Um, you know, th- there's some element here of looking at racism and the church's complicity in it, hmm. and and what we've what we've done. That, you know, it it comes not just from us being um, ineffective or or apathetic about systemic racism. It comes also from us being ineffective and apathetic about prayer. Uh, about mm. about doing battle, spiritual battle in a Christian way, you know, in, a, in an Ephesians yeah. 6 way. And I, one of the, you know, dead guys who kicks my spiritual butt all the time is Leonard Ravenhill. And, you mm. know, he just, he just, he kind of bled revival, never saw it in, in his generation. But, but man, when he, when he talks about the place of prayer, you know, it just, it's so convicting to me because in, in the places where I think, man, I'm doing a good job at getting Calvary or getting me to pray. And then I, I read his mm. descriptions of how lacking they were in prayer 40 years ago and, and how lacking they were in prayer 40 years ago is about twice as much as we're praying today. You know, it just, I, it, I don't know, it's just, it's such, it's such a conviction. You know, the, the other thing that I would say that, that I, I do feel like in my journey, there's been some other practical things, not, not besides the heart issues, but in addition that have been really helpful mm-hmm. is, is reading, you, you know, read, read authors on this issue, black authors on this issue. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that, that, you know, just kind of destroyed me was uh, Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually, uh, they're, they're doing some sort of series on that on Amazon prime, I think, but he, he's just talking about the complicity of the church down through mm. the mm. years in, in the United States, in, in this area of the places, I, the thing that was fascinating to me was not just what we had done, but he, he kind of tries to lay out the places where if we would have done something here, it could have turned the tide, you know? So it wasn't, I mean, it's important to know what we did wrong, but, but th- there's also in the book, a mm. good amount of, here was a place where the church could have stepped in and done something and it would have changed the potentially changed the trajectory of, of this issue. And so, you know, there's, a, there's so many good authors out there and I would just say, educate yourself on that. And then, and then for me, the personal part has been so important. I know not everybody has access to that, but like I said, hearing the stories, um, being involved in the lives of, of friends, not, not just, black people but friends here in town in state yeah. college that that these friendships have developed over you know 20 years um that that's been a part of you know my heart and my mind changing as as well i mean th- those two things i think 
So good. Um, yeah. Something has to happen in me before I step out onto the public. Right. Screen, you know, well, that's well, because how. I, yeah, I think if we're not careful, we'll start trying to make war against people. Yeah. And those books and those conversations are helpful, but they infuriate you. Yeah. Like right, rightfully so. There's a righteous yeah. anger and a yeah, yeah, yeah. lamenting sadness that should be. Now, here's the challenge with that. Back to our posture thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not doing the work of brokenness before the Lord, yeah. then people become the enemy. Yeah. And if they become the enemy, that battle we've already lost. Yeah. And Satan loves that because our our war our war or you know is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. Yeah. And and so we've got to stay attuned to the Lord. We've got to we got to give over these griefs and these sadness and this anger. And, and even as we're uh, awakened to those things, as we're learning things, continuing to, to walk with him through those, because if we're not careful, I think again, we can make the, we can make people the enemy and people yeah. are never the yeah. enemy. Um, yeah. And and this specifically is even as we're trying to combat racism and the stronghold of it, um, yeah. we can make people that, and that doesn't mean we don't need to call people out. That's not what I'm saying. Sure. I'm saying we we got to make sure we know what war we're actually fighting, yeah. you know, right. and and so and cool. working through that. So one of the things that I wanted to to talk with you about too, uh, Dan, is <laughs> I don't know if you remember this conversation. We had a conversation about I think a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. I, I can't exactly remember, but you told me how long you're at the church you're at, and. You uh, said, you know, I've, I've been there at that point. I think it was 25 years. Um, and so you're now 26, right? Yeah. Um, and I just asked you this question. Just, you know, one of the things that you'll know about me uh, or learn about me is whenever I have an opportunity to uh, learn, I'm going to try to take advantage of it, especially those who are ahead of me and those who I, I really respect. I'm going to try to learn from anybody, but specifically when I have a lot of questions on life and leadership. So, as we, I was thankful that the assigned seating had me next to you. Uh, and so I, I was like, uh, so Dan, tell me about yourself. And you told me how long you're there. And I just asked you the simple question. And the question was how long, or not, the question was how have you allowed yourself to be there that long? Like what's kept you there was the question. Yeah. And you made this great joke about uh, beating the other pastor who was before yeah, you. Right, right. Yeah. And, but, but then you said something that really, to, to this day I use often and I even talk to other leaders about it. You said it changed for me and in, in my tenure, the, the long run that I've had came when I understood I was not just a pastor of a church, yeah. but a pastor of a local community. Yeah. And when you said that, it just really, it just struck my heart. Cause I was like, wow, that is exactly what I want to be about. And really a lot of these other conversations that have led up to this question are around that idea. Yeah. And so as, as you think about that answer, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, what does that mean to be a pastor of a church in the community in your own expression? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's not a, that's, that's really in a lot of ways, an old idea, not a new idea. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, whether you talk about parishes, which, you know, the, the parish kind of idea from years ago, some, some churches still embrace it, that the parish was the community. It was a region. It wasn't just your church and you, you, you kind of pastored the parish and, or, or if you go back to um, maybe go back to the, the book of Acts, you know, when, when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus, it wasn't churches in Ephesus. It was the church of Ephesus. It was the, the, the church of Philippi. And, and that doesn't mean that they were all meeting together in one place. They weren't. There was, you know, it was more typically a, a, a number of, of groups, house churches, you know, whatever, um, that they were meeting in that region. And, and, but Paul saw them as the church of that region. And, you know, since then we've kind of gotten to the point where a local congregation is the church and there are many churches in a community and, and I'm not here for the community. I'm here for the job of being a pastor of this church. And, and if that church no longer wants me or I no longer want it, I just go to another church. And 
I think early on for me, the, the, the importance that God puts on place, um, you know, just kind of grew as a conviction that, that God hasn't called me to a church. He's called me to a place. And Hmm. the, the church, the congregation that I'm part of, um, is, is a, uh, you know, a local point of ministry. It's, it's part of the flock that God has given me. Um, but, but it's not the totality. And, and the, you know, the other conviction that that brought immediately as that conviction grew is I can't pastor a city by myself. Mm. You know, that, that's not a lone ranger kind of thing. I can probably grow a good church by myself, um, but I can't pastor a city. So if, if I'm not, if I'm not seeing the city as my place, anytime I pray for revival, it's just going to be God make my church better. Mm. And I just don't think God answers that. You know, it's a very self-centered revival. Um, Take the problems out of my church, help it grow. I want more people here. Bring revival. (laughs) I would would never, I would never pray like that. Never. I've never prayed. (laughs) (laughs) I have. I'll be no. vulnerable. I have. <laughs> I, I, I have like uh, over a hundred times probably, but go ahead. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, the, uh, and, and then, and then when you start thinking about it, God, I believe God has a redemptive purpose for every community, for every place. I mean, before he allowed a city to grow up in this Valley, in his mind, he had a redemptive purpose for this yeah. place. And, and when we understand the redemptive purpose of our place, of our city, of our neighborhood even, when we understand the redemptive purpose, then we become hope givers. Mm. And, and if we don't understand the redemptive purpose, we, we don't have a whole lot of hope to give. And, and even in this, this period of time of racial tension, I mean, there's a lot of lamenting, rightly so, and a lot of people saying, hey, sometimes it's not just okay, it's the best thing to just enter into lament with people. But, but I also believe that at some point, um, God wants to turn lamenting into travailing. Mm. And, and travailing prayer is that prayer that you still feel the same pain in travailing prayer as you do in lamenting prayer. But travailing prayer has this hope that something is going to come out of it. Mm. A woman travailing in childbirth. It, I, this hurts. I hate doing this. But something is going to come out of this that makes it all worth it. And, and that's what, that's what we need. And that's one of the reasons why I think Joe, that, that there's, there's two places that I'm, I'm looking to for revival. And, and one is neighborhoods. You, you know, I've been saying to the church during this Corona time that, that I think Jesus is far less interested in how we gather than he is in how we scatter. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think when revival comes, it's going to hit our neighborhoods first. And I'm afraid that if we're in our church buildings, we're going to miss the revival. Um, that the second one is, is from the African-American community. I I just, Hmm. you know, I think the, the Azusa street revival kind of, I mean, that was, that was similar, but in some ways I I read about that and it feels like it included the African-American community. I I think, I think this revival is going to come from the travailing prayer Hmm. of, of the African-American church. And, you know, I think, um, I think they're uniquely poised um, for that. You know, if, if they can, and many of them are, I, I know many of them are, but if they can find a way to turn the lament, the pain into travailing. So our neighborhoods in the African-American community, and to be honest, the, the white church um, isn't very involved in either one of those places Mm. and, and uh, something needs to change there so that we don't miss, you know, what, what God is going to do, what he wants to do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, That's so good. And I I think even as you read through the scriptures, I was thinking about what you said about Nehemiah. So mm. his lamenting led to uh, travailing pain. Yeah. And that's when you saw the the wall rebuilt. Yeah. And I think that we, we don't want to miss that God God wants to give vision out of the yeah. pain. Um yeah. whatever pain you're going through right now, we talked about the brokenness posture, but in the that posture, it's not just to stay broken, it's to experience his healing touch. 
and his healing touch gives us a, a hope um, forward in the midst of what we're facing. It doesn't make light of what we've experienced. Yeah, right. But, but rather it um, becomes something that leads us to how we'll go forward and gives us a, a fresh view and perspective um, to, to what's happening. But I, I agree with you too, though, that, yeah, I, I think there's, there's been a lot of conversations when we're going to open back up and I get that. And I understand we have a responsibility to that. Right. But I'm holding off as long as possible. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm like, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm looking at what's happening and I'm realizing this, this is our moment. This is the yeah. Esther four fourteen moment where, you know, we're, we're not going to stay silent yeah. and perish, but we're going to, for such a time as this step into it. Yeah. Lament. But then get this fresh vision of yeah. what what could and should be. So as you think about that, is and you think about us being pastors of not only our churches, but also our cities. Are there any steps that you would recommend? I know maybe you hit on some of those, but is there anything that comes to your mind that you would recommend us doing in that area? You know, I I find um, that that one of the things keeping pastors from being a part of the wider community of what God is doing, other churches, you know, all that kind of stuff is, is that I don't care what size your church is, whether it's 20 or 2000. Um, there's always enough to do in my own church that I feel responsible for that. I answer to somebody for whether it's elders or a denomination or even in my, you know, a sense of God, but but often, usually, it's elders or denominate or the church. I, I answer to the church, kind of thing. And so, I find that a lot of people, you know, a lot of pastors don't have the time to give to their city or to other churches in the city, the church of the city, because I got so much to do here. I'm responsible here, and and I just I think somewhere we need to flip the switch to saying. Now, ultimately, my boss is Jesus, not my elder board or the people in my church. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus wants me putting time out here, then then I dare not not put that time out there. I, I dare not mm -hmm. say, but Jesus, there's so much here for me to do. You know, I, I mean, he's the one who builds his church. And and so, you know, I, I, I run into it feels to me like nowadays this this wasn't true 20 years ago but nowadays i find that most pastors i just did a survey of 100 plus pastors in central pennsylvania and and most of them are answering i'd do anything with other churches or i would do something in this area very few of them even were saying i'll only do something with another church if we're doctrinally aligned um there's there's a push towards it but the inertia is i just don't have time you know i maybe i have time for this event or whatever but if the builder of the church, the head of the body is saying, yeah, but I want you out here, you know, then, then all of a sudden, you know, um, it, it just kind of gives a different spin to it. And, and I, I just think if, if we, if we grab that, if, if Jesus really wants us to pastor together, it will ultimately be better for my congregation church <laughs> yeah. than if I don't. I mean, because that's the posture of brokenness. I, it, it, that my church is not dependent upon my abilities. We, we say at Calvary, I say at Calvary at least, not everybody else does. <laughs> I say that excellence is of the devil. And, and uh, the reason I say excellence is of the devil is because mm. um, it, it keeps us from giving stuff away. And, and, it, and it makes us think it all depends mm. on me. And so my, my statement is God is worthy of my best, but he doesn't need it. Um, he, he's, it's an act of worship when I give him my best, whatever that best is in that moment. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't need it. I mean, he can do far more with my failures than I can do without him with my excellence. And, and so, mm -hmm. you know, if we're doing what he wants us to do, he, he's going to cause the fruit to grow in, in my congregation. If I'm not doing what he wants me to do, why would he ever give me more fruit in my in my congregation? I mean, wh why would he give me more people to taint, you know, with a divisive kind of, hmm. I'm, I'm being a little bit harsh, but you, you, you get what I'm No, saying. that's good. No, no. Hey, you, you speak you speak that truth in love. This, this is a good <laughs> word, Dan. And I, For I, those who I can't see it, I had true. a smile on my face as I was saying it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was, 
I think you're right though. Like, and I think that's the danger right now is this excellence thing and this yeah. false illusion of even success right. and fame and power. They're all yeah. illusions. Yeah. And they're out of step with the kingdom. And yeah. I think that we we are victims to somewhat of a system we've all created yeah. um, in the Christianum and evangelicalism. And I think yeah. to dismantle it, we have to realize even what you just said about excellence. Yeah. Like, it's about doing our best given our set of circumstances yeah. and and always living in a submissive posture to a kingdom that's greater than my own yeah and and to, to walk with with him through that well dan i want to say thank you so much for being Likewise. on the vision for the valley podcast and as we wrap up here let me know let others know how can they contact or connect with you what's the best way to do that well, I, I won't say text because I have a flip phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm intentionally old school. It's not that I don't understand technology. I'm intentionally old school. Um, but, but email is, is best. So it's just dan at Calvary SC, SC as in State College, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y-S-C dot org. And they can learn more about the, yeah, the church on that site as well, right? If yeah, just... yeah, www.calvarysc.org, though. They'll see a big coronavirus sign right now if they go to it. But they're, they're <laughs> and Dan, Dan's also on social media. Dan Nold, uh, he's yep. great. He's a great follow on Facebook. Uh, gives gives a lot of great insights. Really appreciate you, Dan. And just yeah. and this was so good for my soul. And always good to see you, my friend. Thanks again great for coming you, on. Joe. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Vision for the Valley podcast at gmail.com. 